about 12 years old, and all she wanted was a bicycle. She had the conversation with her parents that many kids have had, saying, hey, mom, hey, dad, I really want a bicycle. In fact, if you get me a bicycle, that's all you need to get me, but I got to have a bike. Ginger's parents did not have a lot of money. Her father was the pastor of a very small church, and so he said, babe, I'm sorry, but we can't afford that right now, but I'll tell you what I'll do. Mom and I will meet you halfway, so if you begin to save we will start saving, and when you save up half the price of a bicycle, we'll have half the price, and we'll buy you a bicycle. So Ginger began to save her babysitting jobs, other odd and end jobs around the neighborhood and the community, and finally, after several months, she had half the amount and went to her parents, and they went and bought the bicycle. They got home and took it to the garage, and this was, this was back in the day when dads put bicycles together, back in that day. You did not need instructions, so it's going to take two and a half hours because you're going to put it together and take it apart and put it together. So Dad and Ginger stayed in the garage two and a half hours. They put the bike together, and he said, hey, you've got about 15 minutes to ride the bike because we have some people coming over for dinner. So go ahead and ride your bicycle. I know you want to, but in 15 minutes, you need to come in and get ready. So she rode her bike, loved it, what she'd always wanted. 15 minutes went by. She came in, went upstairs, got ready, and came down to dinner, and they were hosting Another couple, a husband and wife, who were also in ministry, they were actually missionaries to Latin America. They had a son who was not with them at that dinner, and over dinner, the conversation got very, very real. Ginger's father asked this missionary couple, how's it going? How's the transition been from the States to Latin America? How, How are you doing? And the parents were very candid. They said, for us, it's It's been good. But our son's having a hard time. He left all of his friends in the States and he's having a hard time learning the language. Doesn't want to be there. He's very angry, very frustrated, and we're not sure what's going to happen. They finished their meal and this couple left and Ginger went up to get ready for bed. And after about an hour, she came down to her parents and she said, "Uh, I can't sleep. I, I need to tell you that I feel like God wants me to give my bicycle their son. And her parents, being very wise, didn't try to talk her out of it. Isn't it true sometimes, uh, moms and dads, that when our kids want to do something for God, we're like, whoa, 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 settle down, settle down. Because kids are just like, yeah, 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 I'm on it, let's take care of it. But as moms and dads, we we feel that tension. Is this driven by emotion, or is it really God telling you this? So her parents were very wise, and they said, Ginger, what we want you to do is we want you to think about this tonight, we want you to pray about it. We'll discuss it in the morning, but you really need to to count the cost because we don't have the money to buy you another bicycle. We don't have the money to pay for half a bicycle. It took us months to get to this point. So if you give your bike away, there's no bike coming the next day. Ginger woke up the next morning and came into the kitchen where her parents were, and she said, hey, um, I prayed about it. I thought about it. I really believe God wants me to give my bicycle to that boy. So they packed it up. And they shipped it off. This is the part where you expect me to talk about how God delivered a bicycle that day. But he didn't. That that didn't happen that day. Because sometimes God will ask us to give. Sometimes he will ask us to sacrifice. 
And we live in such a, an instant gratification culture with a fast food mentality where, where we think, okay, God, if I obey you in the next five minutes, you're dropping some kind of blessing on me. We, we almost expect that from God. But Ginger gave not to get something. She gave because she felt like God wanted her to. She sacrificed what she had wanted for what she felt God wanted. But that didn't start in the heart of Ginger. It actually began with God. God knows what it is to give. God knows what it is to sacrifice. It's, it's the essence of the Christmas story. God sending his son to earth. And so Luke chapter 2, I want to look at it this morning. There are two places in the New Testament that reveal the Christmas story. One is Matthew, one is Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third, what we call book in the New Testament. It's really, it's really deeper and better than a book. It's an ancient document that, that was inspired by God, divinely inspired. It's actually the Word of God and protected and preserved over all of these years. But Dr. Luke, he was actually a medical doctor, very analytical, and he, he analyzed everything that happened around the life of Jesus and was inspired by the Holy Spirit to pin these words. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Do you ever feel like somebody else or something else is in control of your life? I mean, you, you know the Christmas story. You're at least somewhat familiar with it. You don't have to grow up in church to know that, that, that Jesus was born and we celebrate the birth at Christmas. We, we have the basis of this story down. In fact, it's one of the challenges as a pastor, to be honest with you. Christmas and Easter are two of the most difficult times of the year to, to bring messages because the story is always the same. There's no new ending this year. Jesus was born, same way he was last year. Same thing that happens every year. And we're super familiar with this story. Like you already know the story. Jesus was born. His parents take this journey because of the census. But do you think they wanted to take the journey? They travel 80 miles. Mary is pregnant toward the end of the pregnancy. Like this is the most inconvenient time. And in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Often it spins, feels like life is spinning out of control because of what's happening to us. But I think it's important to remember at the beginning of the Christmas story that Caesar may have been ruling, but God was in charge. God was allowing the events that were unfolding because of a bigger and a better plan. So when life appears to be out of control, we must remember that things are not always as they appear. God is always in control. God is always in control. And so maybe, maybe you're here this morning and there's some uncertainty in your life and there's some struggle in your life and you don't know what your tomorrows are going to look like, and you have more questions than you have answers, and you're not sure what's going to happen, and, and it feels like you're out of control. For those of us in the room that are part of the Control Freak Club, those are difficult days. And I think it's important to remember, hey, you may be out of control, I may be out of control, Things may appear to be out of control, but God is always in control. And maybe you're just here this morning so God could whisper to you in your life with what you're going through in this very moment, I got this. I got it. I'm in control. Verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. About an 80-mile journey, a hard journey. 
the town of David because he belonged to the house and the lion of David. It's fascinating to me that Jesus, who's been called the bread of life, would be born in Bethlehem, which that name means house of bread. So the bread of life would be born in the house of bread so that you and I could still be impacted by it today. It's fascinating to me what God does. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. What do you think about when you hear the word manger? Many of you, if not most of us, have them in our home somewhere. We have several mangers in our home, uh, nativity scenes, because I, I love those things. In fact, my very first trip overseas, many, many years ago, I went to Tanzania, Africa for about three and a half weeks, and what I brought back was a hand-carved manger scene. I, ju I just love them. The, the peace that's revealed in that moment and what God did, what it represents. Because ultimately it represents one simple thing. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. Do you understand how much God loves you? The fact that God, who's absolutely perfect, sent his son, who's absolutely perfect, to earth to pay the price for sin for you and for me who are not perfect, just so we could call him not only God, but be invited to call him Father. God loves you. In fact, not only does God love you, God likes you. Like, sometimes I think we hear God loves us and we feel like, well, of course he does. He's obligated. It's kind of a rule of being God. You have to love people. It's what you have to do. He has no choice in the matter. But in reality, not only does he love us, he likes us. If you read the pages of Scripture, you find Jesus wanting to spend time with people. You find God doing everything he can to have a relationship with people. God loves you, likes you, wants to know you in a personal way. But he was placed in a manger. Technically, it was a cave. It wasn't some wooden structure, barn kind of thing. It was a cave. It was wet. It was muddy. That's where the animals would typically stay in that culture geographically. So there were wet cows coming in and out. It was a muddy floor. Bats were flying in and out. Cows were leaving on the floor presents ahead of time for, for the baby that would be born. It, it was dirty and nasty and uncomfortable. And it's fascinating to me. I mean, if, if I were God and I were going to send my son to earth, I, I would send him in a very different way. There would be incredible music playing behind him coming to earth. Maybe Guns N' Roses. I don't know. There, there would be amazing music playing behind my son coming to earth. He'd be, he'd be riding on a white horse. There, there'd be gold shooting all over the sky. There'd be armies. I mean, if God was going to send his son to earth, wouldn't it make sense that he'd send him in a big way? Maybe... Maybe the biggest way to send his son to earth was in the hushed cry of a little baby showing that he's always willing to go to the most uncomfortable and dirtiest places. So that when you and I feel like we've gone too far to be loved by God, we've done too much to be loved by God, when we were in the most uncomfortable circumstances of our lives, maybe how God came to earth serves as a simple reminder that there is nobody that has gone too far that, that outreaches the love of a holy God who wants to be our Father. He placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. No guest room available. 
You know the story. Mary and Joseph go to the inn. In some translations, it's actually called the inn. And the reason was where they went is a specifically known place, Chisholm Inn. It was known in that culture. It was the inn to stay at in that area. Because of the census, it's full. But what was true of every inn was true of that inn. They may have been sold out, but the innkeeper had his own room. Now think about this. If you're the innkeeper and a couple walks in and you're full, you you might just say you're full, but there are two things I know about culture then and culture now. No matter who you are, when you see a little baby, there's kind of an ooh and an ah. We think babies are cute. Some more than some babies are just ugly, but they're still cute in a baby kind of like nobody says that. <laughs> Your baby is ugly, but you've seen some ugly babies. You know that. But babies are still cute in a baby kind of way. And, and so we have a soft spot for babies as long as it's somebody else's. I don't want any more, but as long as it's somebody else's, we, we kind of like babies are cute. The other thing we're sensitive to is pregnant ladies, moms. So in that culture, as hard as it was, just the journey. This couple walks in, Mary and Joseph, young couple, you can see the nervousness in their eyes. The time is approaching, and Mary knows this. She's, she's never had a baby before, but what she's experiencing, what she's feeling, she knows it's close. And so they're desperately trying to find a room, and they're told by someone that had to be extremely callous, sorry, would you give up your room for a lady that's pregnant? I mean, I, I can't imagine this. Maybe you can't. I can't, I can't imagine this because I was raised in a way. I, I grew up in Texas, and I was raised in a way. If, if Angie and I are waiting out at Epcot at one of the countries to have lunch, and there's crowded, it's crowded, and the seats are all taken because you're waiting and you can't get in yet, if a lady walks in and I'm sitting I have to stand up and give her my seat. That's, that's just how I was raised. That's what I believe in. Not because she can't stand, because she's weaker. We need to stop being so freaking offended about everything and looking at it through a negative perspective. I do it as an act of honor. I I do it out of respect. Not not because women are weaker. They're not. They are much, much stronger. So part of it's out of fear also. You can have my seat. But I can't imagine turning away a pregnant lady. Why did he do that? He could have given this lady his room. He could have slept outside. He's a guy, I mean, he he could have said, hey, you can have the room, you're about to have a baby, no problem, we'll make it happen. Why didn't he? One simple word, indifference. He was indifferent. It wasn't that he was trying to be mean, it wasn't that he was a bad guy, he was just indifferent. He had other things on his mind, he had other things he was focusing on, often like we do in the Christmas season. Don't we get somewhat indifferent to Christmas? We're so familiar with it. We just kind of roll through the season, and this Christmas looks like last Christmas, looks like the one before, and we kind of go through it, and we know, yeah, 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 I know the meaning is Jesus came, I get it, I get it, I get it, but we're so indifferent because we're in such a rush and the busyness of the season, and we have our agenda and what we're focused on and the things we need to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, I know that story, I'm good, I'm good. There was a young man who, by the time he was four years old, his family knew he was extremely special. All children are, but this young man, at four years old, they walked in his room and found him. He had taken rubber bands and stretched them around the knobs of his dresser on each of the drawers. He stretched them as tight as he could, and he was playing them and creating music from rubber bands on dresser drawer knobs. They immediately had a discussion and got him a violin and began to give him lessons or have him get lessons. And by the time he was 12, he was playing with the Philadelphia Orchestra. 
by the time he was 30, he was known as one of the greatest musicians. In fact, he received the Avery Award for being the greatest classical musician in America. He would sell out concerts worldwide, every venue, no matter how large, at a minimum of $100 a seat. He had been booked for some time to play the Boston Symphony. And a reporter in Washington, D.C. had an idea. So he flew to this performance that Joshua Bell was going to be giving at the Boston Symphony. And afterwards, he connected with him and had a brief conversation. And he said, hey, I had, I had an idea. Just wanted to know if you'd be willing to be a part of it. We're approaching the holidays. It's a busy time of year for everybody. Would you be willing to come to Washington, D.C. And, and come to the metro, the subway, and just wear plain clothes and, and play your violin for an hour, a 60-minute concert, just to see what happens. Joshua Bell got a grin on his face, and he said, I'm in. He said, I just have one request. I want you to have plenty of security, because if I'm going to do this, I want to bring my Stradivarius violin, a $14 million violin. I'm going to give this my best. I want this to be the best show I've ever done. So yeah, I'll wear plain clothes, but, but you need to have security. And so they worked out a plan, and, and they knew what would happen as the masses figured out who it was and how he was playing. They had extra security outside, and, and so they could rush in. They had a way, an, an escape where they would get him out so he wouldn't be overtaken by all the crowds. So he gets to the metro, the subway, and he opens his violin case, sets it on the ground. He's standing by a trash can. He pulls it out, and he puts a few dollars of seed money in that. He's wearing plain clothes, blue jean shirt and hat, and he begins to play. After a minute, a lady dropped a dollar bill and kept walking. Thousands of people walking by going both ways. It was six minutes before anyone else stopped. It was a guy that sort of leaned up against the pole, listened for a few seconds, then walked on his way. At the end of 60 minutes, seven people had stopped to listen. Six of them stayed less than a minute. Only one stayed longer. The one who stayed longer was a lady that stayed ten and a half minutes to watch him. And in a break in between songs, she sort of steps forward kind of sheepishly and says, You're amazing. I saw you at the Library of Congress. I can't believe you're here. She knew who he was, and she only stayed ten and a half minutes. Sixty minutes went by, and, and in his violin case, he had $32 and some change. A guy who, anytime he picks up his violin he automatically is paid a minimum of $1,000 per minute. At the end of 60 minutes, security never had to rush in because people were so busy. They interviewed Joshua Bell after he played. And by the way, you can Google this and see it on YouTube. It's in a time lapse where they play it a lot faster. Don't do it now because I'm talking. That'd be rude. But, but when you get home this afternoon, you can Google it, and, and you see the time lapse of him playing and people just hurriedly going by in either direction. You know what struck me about that? When they interviewed him, he said it was so awkward to be ignored. For me and my music to be ignored. He said, I found myself feeling grateful when somebody would drop in a dollar bill instead of a quarter. He felt diminished. But what struck me about the entire story is thousands of people were only a few feet from greatness and they missed it. Because of indifference. 
because I have my agenda and I have my things I need to do and I've got my list and I'm rolling through my day and my mind is on everything I need to accomplish. And I just wonder how often have we been close to greatness but missed it? We know in this season, Christmas, it's God's gift to us, His Son, a Savior for everyone. Not just good people, not just religious people. In fact, often the worst people are the religious people. A a, a son for every person. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been. We, We know that Christmas is the gift of God, his greatest gift, his son. Which because of his death and his resurrection, defeating sin, makes it possible for you and for me, listen, 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 to have a personal relationship with God. We know that. We know about his gift to us, but do we realize we are a gift to him? Do we understand that the desire of God, according to the scriptures, is out of a deep love for you to know you? To spend time with you, to know me, to spend time with me. How many Christmases have you been through? It happens every December. And I can tell you, the older you get, the faster they come. What's the most memorable Christmas you've ever experienced? And could it be that year after year, you've missed some aspects of greatness that was right there because you were in a hurry or you were indifferent or you had other things on your mind? It's easy. It's the human condition. It's what happened to the innkeeper 2,000 years ago. It's what happened to people in the same room. And, and even if you don't like classical music, a $14 million violin, it's almost Christmas. If you can run fast, maybe you can grab that thing. Like, who knows what that will get at a pawn shop. $14 million. Like, you're in the room. Don't do that. Please don't do that. We make hospital visits, not jail visits. Actually, we do. I'm not going to tell you that story. But we do. But... How often have we been exposed to greatness, frustrated with God because of what he's not doing, feeling empty inside and trying to figure out life and God feels absent and yet in some way he's right there and we miss it because we're focused on something else. Don't focus so much on the temporal that you miss moments of the eternal because it's easy to do. So so what do I do about this? I ask myself a question. It's a question I'm asking in this season. In fact, this question I'm about to give you, if I were a life coach, this is what I would give everyone. This is a question not just for Christmas, but it's for every day, every year. What can I do today that will create the tomorrow I desire? What can I do in this Christmas season that will create the next year, 2020, that I desire? And so there's kind of a declaration that I have for my life, and I want to invite you to have the same declaration for your life if you feel like you'd like to do that. But, But here's mine. I will be intentional in looking for greatness and opportunities for greatness each and every day. I don't want to miss what God may have in the same room available to me because I'm distracted or indifferent. I don't want to be so busy that I can't pause for something that God's doing. I don't want to be so focused on what I want or what I think needs to be done that I miss what God wants and what he, needs, he knows needs to be done. I want to make the most of every opportunity. The Apostle Paul, writing to a church, said in Colossians chapter 4, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. 
every opportunity. So Ginger sold, I mean, gave away her bike because she felt like God wanted her to. She heard about a little boy that was struggling and in need, and so she gave the bike away. A few days later, word began to spread around town, and the local paper of this small town put an article about Ginger's gift of this bike. The wealthiest man in the town who owned a bike shop rolled up in front of her house about a week later with a truck full of bikes and said, you pick. That's not true. None of that happened. <laughs> she gave her bike away, and she didn't get a new bike. But, but don't we like the stories where I do something and God does something? Isn't that convenient? Okay, God, I'll pay you, but you're on a time limit. There's an expiration date for your blessing, and I expect it right now. Hurry up. Let's go, God. But Ginger was just obedient. It would be over three years before she would get a new bike, before she could save up the money to have a new bike. By the time she got the new bike, she rode it a little bit, but she was almost 16. And at 16, she wanted to borrow the family car. Then shortly after that, she's 18 and going off to college, and the bike just doesn't matter that much anymore. She goes to a private university, and she begins dating a guy there whose family was also in ministry. And one evening, they're having a conversation. It was shortly before they got engaged. They'd been dating for some time, and they were sharing stories about growing up. And Ginger is talking to Steve, who will become her fiancé and her husband. And Steve said, man, you know, I went through a hard spot in life. My, my parents were missionaries in Latin America. I didn't want to be there. I was angry at God. I thought there's no way God loves me. Look, what, look at the position he's put me in. My faith was eroding, wasn't sure I believed in God, and I was struggling. It, it was creating a, a burden for my parents because they didn't know how to fix it, but I didn't care. And out of the blue, this kid in the United States sends me a bike. Only God. Only God. Ginger had no idea in her act of obedience, that her simple gift would begin to build courage and faith in a greater way in the man that would one day become her husband. You and I have no idea when we say yes to what God asks us to do, what's going to happen. We have to get out of the selfish mentality of God, what are you going to do for me? And begin to trust God's plan because of what he's already done for me. A God who's going to send his only son to die for me. I don't deserve the son of God to die for me. I, I, I don't deserve that. I deserve hell. I deserve to be separated from God. I'm just not that good. And, and yet, God, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, while you were still in sin, while I was still in sin, before we were ever born, knowing what we would do and the mistakes we would make and the ways we would blow up our lives and the way we would hurt other people and hurt ourselves, knowing all of that ahead of time, God still sent his son. That is a deep kind of love that I don't want to miss, and I don't want you to miss it. And I don't want our community to miss it. If you're a part of C3, I've been asking you for a few weeks to join me and Angie and our team in praying about your commitment to rise up. I'm going to ask the band to come to the stage. If you're a part of C3, you got one of these cards in the mail. You know that today is the day we're committing to what we're going to give over and above. If you're a guest this morning, please don't feel obligated. Like for real, please, please don't feel obligated. And even if, if you're a part of C3, I, I want you to understand something. No twisted arms. 
Now, I, I don't want you to do something out of guilt. I want you to hear from God like Ginger did. I want you to seek God and say, okay, man, I, I want to be a part of this. Yes, I, I, I want you to not miss something. Because I know that every time we say yes to what God asks us to do, he blesses. And he works in our lives. And that blessing might look different. And that blessing might come today or it might come in 20 years. I don't know. But God just has a way of doing far more for us than we could ever do for him. God will refuse to be in debt to you and me. He's going to take care. So if you're a guest, don't feel obligated. But for the next few moments, you, you get sort of a, a very honest look at who we are because we're very transparent in the life of C3. And so rise up is something we've prayed through and we're praying through, and it's what we're giving over and above our regular tithes and offerings for the next year, starting today and then through 2020. 2000. For the next step in the life of C3. So if you're part of C3, you got one of these, um, but, but some of you may have forgotten it, or for some of you, maybe your dog ate it. So the ushers are going to take care of that. They're going to come. They're going to pass these cards out, pass some pins out. Because I don't want anybody to miss the greatness that God may want to do in your life and the opportunity that's available. As they're passing those cards out, what is this for specifically? Rise Up, as we give over and above, everything given to Rise Up is put in an entirely separate bank account, and it is for the next step in the life of C3 Church. I've shared with you that as a portable church, we meet in a high school, and by the way, we are blessed. The administration has been so good to us. The school is an incredible facility. We are blessed to have this opportunity. But at the same time, we have one day a week to make a difference in people's lives. And I've shared that as our young family has been growing, we, it's like we've been leasing an apartment and now it's time to lease a home as we expand or, or maybe buy a home. So we don't know if we're going to lease a facility and retrofit it or if we're going to buy land and build or if we're going to buy an existing facility and retrofit it. We're still on that journey. Like when God told Abraham, just go to a place I'll show you. Just start going. So we're taking a step of faith, and everything given to rise up is put in that account for that next step, for when God opens the door. But I've also shared with you, we're not going to be building, the, the building is not going to be C3 Church, because you're the church and I'm the church. The church is people. The building is going to be a community center, C3 Community Center. Because what our vision is, is, is to impact the community in a significant way. We want the building, the space to be a community hub where people come whether they ever go to our church or not. We want it to be the kind of space that maybe someone is a music teacher and has a heart for students and it's somebody that invests in the community. And so maybe, maybe a large number of her students or his students, she scholarships them because they can't afford it. That's the kind of person that I want to say, hey, you're investing in other people, you're making a difference. Use our building for free for your recitals. We want it to be a place that the community comes, a place where people that don't know English can come and learn English at, at, at no charge. The kind of place where we can have maybe office space or maybe some rooms available where we say to somebody that feels like God has given them a purpose and a calling on their lives and they, they want to be an insurance agent or a chiropractor or start their own business and that they've got a good business plan, we can say to them, hey, Here's space you can use for two and a half years rent-free. Two and a half years, you've got to go because somebody else is coming in. But, but what would it look like if a church stopped saying to the community, come help us build our thing? What would it look like if a church said, we want to help you build your life? We want to be a part of what God's doing in your life. We, we want to help you fast-track and, and get a jump start. We want to help you go further, faster. So use this space, no charge. What would that look like if a church cared on that level? So it's a community center. And God's going to open the door. There's a particular spot 
that we are in discussion with. Just this morning, I had a conversation of someone that told me, hey, so-and-so talked to me yesterday. They'd like to meet with you very, very soon. They want to help make the building become a reality, and this particular individual could help make that happen, but they're not going to pay for it. That's up to us. And here's the incredible news. I, I can't wait to tell you this. I've been waiting all week. The amazing news, we have all the money we need for the next step. Now, the bad news is some of you, it's still in your pocket. <laughs> like you're still hanging on to it. And so, but we have all the resources we need as a church family if we all say what Ginger said, yes, to what God's asking us to do. So I want to pray for you. And after I pray for you, I, I want to make sure you fill this card out. On one side, there's a sample giving schedule. So it shows if I give weekly, monthly, what that'll mean over the next year total. On the other side, please fill that out. Your name, please print clearly. We can't read hieroglyphics, so please print clearly. Your address, city, state, zip code, email, whatever email you'd like us to communicate with you on. Your phone number. And then this is really important. The top line, total 2020 gift amount. That is what you're giving to rise up. That's not your total giving for the next year. That's the amount you're going to commit to give over and above what you normally give. And then there's a place to sign it at the bottom. Now, listen, this is not a contract. If you don't do this, we're not hiring a collection agency. I'm not going to show up at your house at 8 o'clock at night. Hey, you haven't paid. Uh, no, 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 no. This is simply a commitment you're making before God. And so you do what he leads you to do. No guilt, no twisted arms. You do what God leads you to do. Why am I so passionate? I don't want you to miss greatness. I don't want you to miss what God wants to do through your faithful yes to what he's asking you to do. So I want to pray. In fact, let's stand together. As we stand, I want to pray. And then after I pray, I want to ask you to slip out of your seat. There's tables on each side at the front up here. There are these boxes at the front with slits in them. If you'll just drop your commitment card in that box. If you came this morning prepared to give your regular tithes and offerings, you'll drop that in the box as well. Remember, Rise Up is over and above. Because if we only give to Rise Up, we can't do what we do every week. And God is using you every single week to change lives. But we don't meet here for free. And ministry is not free. And so this is over and above. After I pray, I want you to bring it. And God's going to bless it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the reality of your love your deep love for each and every one of us. And God, we don't want to be selfish. We want you to love others through us. So I pray for every person that's coming, making a commitment this morning, giving, God, that you would bless them and that you would use this and have your way with it. In Jesus' name, amen. You bring it, God will bless it. Let's do it.